Well, thank you again, Matt, and the team for leading us well today. As a young person, I had a great love of maps and for a season of life wanted to become a cartographer, which I'm kind of guessing not too many young people aspire to, but I loved maps. In fact, I had a great collection of maps. I used to hang them on special hangers in my bedroom and pull them off and pour over them and look at them. I actually collected the series, the one in 250,000 series, which might not mean much to most of you, but a series of maps that covered the whole of the state of Victoria. And the only place that I could go that was big enough to lay it out so that I could see the whole state of Victoria was actually the church hall where we were part of and I'd put all the maps on the floor and then you could see the whole state. It was probably about half the width of the front of this auditorium I guess and and three or four metres deep and it was just fun to stand back and, and look at the way that the landforms ran, where the highways went, where the deserts were up there in the northwest, the mountains across in the east. I loved that stuff and I used maps uh, for all sorts of interesting purposes including whenever I was travelling anywhere and I still do to this day. If I'm going on a trip on a road uh, as I will be later this week down towards Bendigo I'll study the maps, I'll make sure I know where I'm going to turn off and where the roads go and where the intersections are and if I wanted to detour and go see something interesting I could do that. And occasionally people say to me, why don't you just use a GPS? And some of you are laughing because GPS is wonderful, wonderful inventions and they can be really helpful in lots of contexts but every now and again even the one that I've got in the car will ask me to go down a road that doesn't exist or it will take me to somewhere when actually, I know I want to go over here, it wants me to go via this way. One time I was travelling and I can't remember where it was now, I think I was in Ballarat and I was coming back to Wodonga, it wanted me to go all the way to Melbourne and then back up and I thought, well, why don't I just go straight across uh, the way that I know? Uh, it, it's, it can be a little bit frustrating. One of the other reasons I find a GPS a little bit frustrating is there are occasions when you are driving down the road, uh, say on a freeway for example, and it'll say turn left in 50 metres and you've got three lanes of traffic to try and get across. And part of the problem, or one of the challenges, or one of the, uh, one of the uh, difficulties with the GPS is the screen is this big and it shows you that much. You can't see the whole context and a map, even though it's sometimes a little bit annoying to have to pull out a big map, it shows you lots of context. And that, in a sense, is what we're going to do today as we have been over this past year. In fact, we started the project working our way through the Book of Acts back on the 19th of April in the year 2000. I know the year 2000 is a kind of dirty word. We don't want to say that word. But we started the process of working through the Book of Acts uh, over a year ago. Today, uh, we're just going to step back as we finish that series and instead of looking carefully and exegetically means we unpack the text as we have over these past few months we're just going to step back from the text and so our reading today is the book of Acts that's going to take us a little while to get through <laughs> no in fact we're not going to read the whole book again however let me just encourage you at some time to do that because one of the things that we sometimes do is dive into the scriptures we read a very small piece of it and we read it out of its context where in actual fact every scripture is embedded in its context uh, 
and what is around it is of critical importance to it. And reading the whole book of Acts is actually a really useful exercise. It takes a little time, it won't take that long because there's not that many chapters, uh, but it is a very useful exercise. What I do want to do today though, as part of our kind of wrapping up the series from the book of Acts, is to step back from the text and look at three themes that run through the book of Acts. The first theme is the life and activity of the Holy Spirit that we see there in the book of Acts. The second theme is the Great Commission and the manner in which the Great Commission was worked out by the early church. And the third theme is the development of the church, the evolution of the church, if you like to use that language, the way the church kind of shaped itself through that era. And uh, so that's the direction that we're going to go in. But let's pray before we dive in and uh, talk about those three things. Lord, we do thank you again today for your word as, uh, as we come to it. We thank you that it has been preserved through the ages for us. We thank you that we can have much confidence in it because you have preserved it. We thank you for the form that it is in. Uh, we're just mindful, Lord, of people in the world who don't have access to the written Bible or the electronic Bible. And here we are inundated with all sorts of um, capacity in that way. We thank you, Lord, that it's by your Spirit that we might understand it and we invite that, uh, that understanding today. We ask you, Lord, to give us insight into your Word, that your Spirit would guide us and show us new things. Encourage us as your church, we pray. Grow us to become more like Christ, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, here's a question, and um, uh, where's Bethany sitting? She's gone out somewhere. Um, if you were to look at the Gospel of Luke, mindful that Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, if you looked at the Gospel of Luke, in fact, if you looked at any of the Gospels, here's the question, who is the key player? Who is the main focus of the Gospels? Sunday school question, inviting a Sunday school answer, what's the answer? Jesus, I can hardly hear you with those masks on and that's a shame. But anyway, the answer of course is yes, Jesus, the right answer. The Gospels are a summary of the birth, the life, the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the central player without question. When we get to the book of Acts, we come to a time in history where Jesus has ascended, he's gone back to be with the Father. The physical Jesus, the resurrected Jesus has returned to heaven and so it's a natural question to ask, and this would have been a question on the lips of the disciples, how is Jesus going to be with us? Because one of the promises that was made by Jesus was, I will be with you always to the end of the age. How is that going to be possible if you're not here in person? And the question is answered in the book of Acts with the ongoing presence, the coming and ongoing presence and activity of the Holy Spirit through this entire book. In fact, it would be to entirely miss one of the main messages of the book of Acts if we were to ignore the power and the presence and the life and activity of the Holy Spirit in the church and in amongst God's people. In fact, it would be true to say that the Holy Spirit baptism that's uh, spoken of here or the infilling of the believer by the Holy Spirit was an essential prerequisite for those who were going to fulfil Jesus' vision for the kingdom and to participate in the work that he'd called them to do. In other words, 
for that to happen, for the gospel to go out, for the great commission to be fulfilled, the infilling of the Holy Spirit was a necessary prerequisite and continues to be a necessary prerequisite. And what we see in the book of Acts is not a shift away from Jesus at all, but an emphasis on Jesus in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, of course, is none other than the Spirit of Jesus. I've spoken about this in the past. Some people are a little bit anxious about the Holy Spirit, a little bit scared of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's work and activity? We need not be anxious or fearful, because it's none other than the Spirit of Jesus, and Jesus never does anything to harm us. He'll stretch us, he'll challenge us, he'll grow us, he'll mould us, and that's some of the work the Holy Spirit does in us, but we need not be anxious about that because it is the Spirit of Jesus. And we see the Spirit of Jesus active right through the book of Acts, not just in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. We see it in the preaching of Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You remember Peter was singled out earlier on because he had a thick Galilean accent. We don't have too many accents unique to Australia. Of course, we have lots of people from different cultures with different accents, but I'm not sure that it's that easy to pick someone from Western Australia over someone from New South Wales. Would that be true? Generally speaking, our accents are fairly similar. Well, we don't think we've got an accent. Of course we do. Uh, But in the ancient times, you could tell where a person was from by their accent as well as by looking at them. And Peter was known as a Galilean by his thick accent and yet here as a man filled and infused with the Holy Spirit he preaches such a powerful message that 3,000 people repented and were baptised on that day the activity of the Holy Spirit in the preaching and in those who heard the preaching we see the activity of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts when the apostles are called to defend the gospel to provide an apology if you like for the not an apology in that I'm sorry for the gospel but Uh, The the word apology means an explanation or uh, a defence of the gospel. We see the Holy Spirit uh, with them in those places. We see the Holy Spirit's work in the conviction of Ananias and Sapphira when they sinned. You have sinned against the Holy Spirit, they are told. We see the Holy Spirit's activity in the healings that were performed, uh, the selection of people for service, the explanation of the gospel in preaching in the determining of the order of the church, the questions about how the law should be applied and even plans for missionary journeys, you know, led by the Spirit to certain places at certain times. And rather interestingly, Peter made three assertions or three important statements about the life and activity of the Spirit here in chapter 2 when he was preaching. First of all, What the crowd had witnessed as they saw was the evidence, uh, what the crowd saw, sorry, was evidence of the Spirit's coming, evidence that was entirely consistent with what God had prophesied through the Old Testament. So in other words, what God had said right back here about the coming of the Spirit was being realised in that place. And what the crowd saw, Peter assured them, was not something weird and unusual, it's actually something that God has been talking about in the past. If you have a look just out of interest at Acts chapter 2 verses 17 to 21, Peter actually quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
This is God speaking. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men, men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter's actually wanting to say, what you are seeing now is not something that should take you by surprise because God's talked about this in the past. But, Peter says, what you need to understand now is what's, what you are seeing is not to be interpreted through Joel but through Jesus. In his sermon, Peter said, Jesus was the one who was the focus of salvation. Jesus is the one who is able to bring salvation because God has qualified him to do that. We see that evidence in his miracles, by his crucifixion and in the resurrection. And so Peter was able to declare, God has raised this Jesus to life. We are witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you now hear. And then, if you're back in chapter 2, the people said to Peter, what do we do? And Peter made this point, he said, baptism by the Spirit is available for all. Repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, Peter said, and your children, and for all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then what we see through the rest of the book of Acts is spirit-empowered men and women going out and spreading the gospel. Spirit-empowered witnesses, not soldiers who tried to force belief, but spirit-enabled men and women who did that work in the same way that the Holy Spirit is active in the church today amongst those who are willing to respond to his spirit to go out and be witnesses to, uh, to Christ. What then about the fulfilment of the Great Commission, the second point? Well, close to the end of his ministry, you know this of course from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said to his disciples, go. How would the disciples go about the task of fulfilling the Great Commission? That's one of the big questions that the book of Acts addresses. And the answer should not come as a surprise. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that evidence through the activity of the church, even in what we might consider some of the more mundane things in the life of the church, if you come to chapter 6, where the church had to choose some men to oversee the distribution of food. A simple process, you would think, but the prerequisite for those who were to do that was that they were to be people who were full of wisdom, sorry, people who were full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. One of the challenges of ministry, even in our day, is finding enough people to fill uh, the slots that we have, the volunteers that we need, the people to do the sound and the music and the car park and all of that kind of stuff and if Bethany was still here I'd ask this question you know if you're looking for somebody to help you in kids church for example what's the first question that you ask and often the first question that we ask is do they have a heartbeat <laughs> do they have a warm body you know can they walk into the church we're desperate sometimes to fill those vacancies but I wonder what it would be like 
um, if instead of asking that question, we ask the question that was asked here in Acts chapter 6. Now just dream with me on this for a moment, those of you who are here and those who are listening in. What would it look like if we said, for instance, for those who serve in the car park, Rob, can we use that example? You know, what sort of people do we want to be out there in our car park helping people park. Well, we want people who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Why? Because they're the first point of contact for people who come to our church. We want them to demonstrate practically the love of Christ in their attitude and their actions and in the way that they do that. What a difference it would make. Why can't we do that? We've been dreaming a little bit about hospitality. Let me just throw another idea out for you. Uh, One of the things that I think would be really good to do Uh, and we've realised the value in doing this, is perhaps once a month after the service, uh, we set ourselves up out the front here in the the foyer area, or perhaps outside um, with some barbecues, and we cook some lunch for barbecue, we barbecue some lunch. Who'd be up for doing that? What sort of people do we want? Well, we don't just want warm bodies, we don't just want people who can hold tongs, or no, one sausage from another, although I understand there is quite a bit of difference between sausages. Uh, We want people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom because it's a ministry of hospitality and we're dreaming about what that might look like. What a difference that could make. Is it possible? Yes, it is. We're talking um, with the elders and with the uh, assets committee and with the staff about doing more around morning tea, setting up a coffee cart kind of system so that we can offer Uh, quality coffee to people and encourage some of our younger people to hang around after services and mix and not just the younger people either by the way what sort of people do we want well we want trained baristas whatever maybe we do we want people who are filled with the spirit and wisdom people who can engage in good conversation people who are prepared to train others in that same kind of process people who can actually demonstrate by their actions the love of god that's true of anything we do true in the church What a difference it would make if we were able to do that. As we think about the manner in which the disciples went about the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, it's, it's probably worth just stepping back for a second and having a look at the steps that went, uh, went, uh, were in place through this uh, book of Acts. You know, right at the start, when Jesus had departed physically from them, the very first thing we find them doing is hiding in a room, kind of scratching their heads, wondering what on earth they were going to do. Then the day of Pentecost came there in chapter 2, which changed everything. The disciples were in one place. They were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as they were enabled. A new power filled them. They were able to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one by whose name all might be saved. But the Great Commission said, uh, making disciples of all nations, not just those that were in the room with you. And so... Uh, the question the book of Acts then addresses is how does it move from this group who are cloistered in Jerusalem out into the world? And the answer is disturbing because the answer actually is it was by persecution, it was by hardship, it was by something unpleasant, it was by something unplanned, it was persecution that broke out. It's described for us there in Acts chapter 7 after the stoning of Stephen. The church was spread out. You know, just as I think about it now, I can't help but wonder whether there isn't something even in this for us. This is totally unscripted. It could go badly wrong. 
But here we are in a place where once again, you know, our church has been turned on its head. Who could have imagined we would have been having to gather like this, you know, even in 2021. But what are the opportunities that this time of turmoil has provided for us? What change of thinking has there been perhaps for us even in how we go about fulfilling the Great Commission in our time? Here in Acts, the church was spread out and we see the disciples went to all sorts of places and everywhere they went, they talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere they went, they witnessed to Jesus. Everywhere they went, they were prepared to stand up and own the name of Christ. And as the book of Acts unfolds through these middle chapters, we, uh, we meet Paul and uh, the church just goes out and out and out and out. And where Matt finished last week there at the end of uh, Acts chapter 28, the gospel got as far as Rome. But I wonder if you could just grab your Bibles, if you do have it, and, uh, and find the passage in Acts that talks about church budgets. Or um, the section that talks about the church's advertising campaign. Um, I've missed that. The building programs. There's um, not much in here about paid professionals. There's scanned information about programs, though there are programs. Let me not um, lead you up the garden path in that way. Here's the thing. This church that transformed the world that it was part of did so without a lot of the expensive machinery that we have. And none of the things that we have are necessarily bad. In fact, God has been uh, an, uh, an abundant blesser of us in so many ways. But this church of Acts, these people, these Christians, went up against uh, the mighty Roman Empire and they won. How did that happen? It happened because they put the commands of Jesus into practice. They were prepared to take what Jesus said seriously about being my witnesses. They loved one another deeply. They cared for the poor. During the plagues, they were the ones who looked after the sick. I preached on this topic um, some years ago, just did some research in this space about some of the plagues that um, fell upon the ancient world in the early times of the church. And they were, you know, we talk about a pandemic. This, what we're experiencing is nothing. Seriously. It is nothing by comparison. Bodies piled up in the streets. People racing out from the cities. Whole cities abandoned. Uh, groups of people maligned because inappropriately they were blamed. You know, that sort of stuff. It was the Christians who hung around and who rather curiously built up uh, a natural immunity because they did that, or some of them at least, um, who cared for the sick, who took in those who were unwell and it changed people's perceptions, it changed their lives. They took food to the prisoners, they clothed the naked and they were doing what Jesus said. He said, by your love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples and it was by their love for one another that others around them became their disciples too. What is our dream as a church? that it ought to be our love for one another that just draws people, that demonstrates to people that Christ is alive in us. And it's a sad indictment, I reckon, that so often, and perhaps unfairly, the church is known for what it's against, not what it's for. And yes, there is some confusion in our community about that, 
But again, perception is reality, isn't it? What people perceive as their reality. Too often, too, we in the West, and I broaden this, uh, we put our, our uh, investment into bigger buildings or better music teams or better preachers or flasher screen displays or nicer car parks or more comfortable chairs and I'm feeling convicted at this moment. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. Now look again, many of these things are good tools. Please don't misunderstand me. They are good tools that God will give us but they will never replace the, the impact that you and I can have if we lived Christ-like lives, transparent lives, lives of reality, lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, again, um, just in terms of our own life together as a church, you know, I have a strong sense that there's, uh, there's still some transition stuff going on for us, but we are coming to a season where we are going to need to invest and, and we want to invest heavily in equipping our congregation, our church, to be those people, to be effective in the workplace, to equip those who are in business, to be Christ-like in their business, to equip our teachers to be Christ-like in that place, to equip our students to be able to articulate the gospel. We've talked about what the youth group have been doing in that space and how encouraging it is to give young people the tools that they need to be able to speak and be witnesses for Christ. You know, in Ephesians 4, Paul said of Jesus that it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the measure of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ, equipping to become more Christ-like that we might do that work that God has for us. The third picture, the third big item uh, is the shaping of the church. Now before we talk about that, let me just ask uh, those of you who are here, how many of you um, still play vinyl records? Vinyl records, you know, uh, turntables, what do they call them, magnetic cartridges, you put a record on. How many of you have only got those and would not consider having any other kind of recorded music? Just let me do another quick couple of questions for those who are here. How many of you have got a gramophone still? Okay, this is a very interesting... I was not expecting as many people to put up their hands. <laughs> what does that say? How many people here have got a CD player? Okay, and play CDs. How many of you use um, digital, you know, online, Spotify, those kind of music platforms? Most people, well, not all, a number. Okay, here's the point. Through the history of music, the way that we record music changes, doesn't it? Or hold on to recorded music has changed. It's moved from one thing to another, to another, to another. Who knows what's going to come next? And interestingly, this is a little bit of an aside, there's some angst for some people because once upon a time you owned the music that you had, now you pay for access to the music. And the younger generation perhaps don't have the pleasure of fingering through that record collection that some of you will have and pulling out that record and thinking, oh, I remember playing that, you know. And sometimes music links to certain events in life, doesn't it? You remember this record for a certain stage of life? I could do that. That's got absolutely nothing to do with what I want to say. And what I want to say is this. 
even in the book of Acts, one of the things that we observe is a morphing of the church as it grew, as it shaped, as it encountered new challenges, as it moved into new areas, it had to shape and reshape itself. And that's okay. Uh, one of the observations that we might make, though, is, um, is that while that happened in Acts, it still happens to this day. We did it here only a bit over a year ago when we reshaped our leadership because we realised we needed to reposition, we needed to change our footing in that space to be able to do some new things and that's okay. The form and structure of the church should change but the person who's at the head of the church should never change and that was true in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ was the focus and the church body, the organisation actually changed. And despite the fact that the church had to initiate some organisational and structural change over time, uh, the important message from the book of Acts is this, and this is going to come as no surprise because I've already said this, the church is not the building, the church is not the structure, the church is not the program, it's the people. You and I are the church. I had hoped yesterday... Uh, to prepare, and I actually started, got partway through and then gave it up as a, as a bad joke, um, preparing a little segment for the kids. And I was going to go out and, and video some buildings and say, you know, these are just meeting places for the church. The church is down the street, the church is in the homes, the church is gathering in the park. It's, it's people like you, Val, can I pick on you today, who goes for a walk at Sumption Gardens and meets someone and says, hey, you know, what, how are you going? And starts a conversation and befriends that person and then starts to talk about life with them. That's the church at work. The church is when we gather. It's those who come and, and help with care van or distribute food to the needy or whatever it might be. And through the book of Acts, we see this fulfilment of the Great Commission, not done by the structure or the building or the constitution or pastors or ordained clergy, although these things have a role, it was done by people like this, Aquila and Priscilla, you remember them from the book of Acts? It was done by Barnabas and Stephen and Cornelius and Lydia and Apollos and Sopater and Pyrrhus and Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus and the list goes on and on. The church is the people and the work of the Great Commission belongs to us all. And then last week we came to chapter 28 and I really liked the way that Matt finished the sermon or finished the series last week. In some senses it's a bit like when you get to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Because at the Gospel of Mark, do you remember, uh, the women turn up by the grave, it's empty and they're scared, they don't know what to do and that's it, that's where Mark stops. Really weird place to stop. But here in um, Acts 2, we don't find out what happens to Paul. I'd love to know what, what happened. Finish the story. But actually, I think Luke did that intentionally because what he wanted to say is this. And here's the crux of the message. It's over to you. You're writing the next chapter. You're the ones who are part of the story. This story doesn't finish here. It goes on. What happens next is up to you. This great commission, this ongoing story of the growth and evolution of God's church continues under the authority of Christ, but it's in your hands. And uh, that's where um, Luke stopped. It's a challenge for us to ask the question, what about us? And what is there now for us? 
Let's pray and then uh, we'll invite our team to come and just uh, sing again, lead us in song, but we need to pray. God, we want to thank you again as we come to a conclusion today of this series that has been so inspiring and so timely, Lord. How, how timely it was that we started right at the beginning of the pandemic thinking about how the early church, the young church, that developing church responded in, uh, in a pagan context, in a changing context, in a challenging context. How appropriate it was for us to think about decentralising and uh, creating the whole neighbourhood church kind of idea and having people meet when we were able to in homes or in the park or wherever, uh, reflecting some of the habits and patterns of the church that we see in the book of Acts. How appropriate it has been for us to think about what does it mean to be embedded in our neighbourhoods just as that church was, as many of us were, uh, what's the word, uh, stuck at home for weeks, for months there during 2020. How appropriate it is for us again to be reminded of the Great Commission and the manner in which by your Spirit you infuse us with your power that we might be your witnesses. Lord, we recognise that you are the one who gives gifts for ministry. You are the one who empowers us to do that work. You are the one who prepares the hearts upon uh, the hearts of those that you will impress your love upon. And uh, that work is yours, Lord. We can't force that. We can't manipulate that. We can't change that. We saw what happens to those who would try to manipulate your spirit through the book of Acts. But we, this day, would wish to declare again our desire to be uh, tools in your hands, to be uh, clay that you would mould and use to your glory. Father, our dream is to be a church inspired by your Holy Spirit, a people who would serve, called by your Holy Spirit, empowered by your Holy Spirit, working out the gifts of your Holy Spirit in our community, in our world, in our families, uh, wherever we are. And so offer ourselves again humbly to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.